Louis, after this morning, and I made some comments about the bride price, Stephen took me aside, <laughs> and he said, Chuck, you make sure you don't go over tonight. <laughs> a, a little comment, and all of a sudden I'm really limited as far as how long I can go. I'm just saying, Louie, just saying, you may have 15 minutes tomorrow morning. <laughs> and I'm not even sure we're going to have service tomorrow night. <laughs> that song, Give Me Jesus, Stephen knows, Ellen knows, that's a song I want sung at my funeral. I love that song. So if things really go south, Louie, if you'd have the funeral, and if we could sing that song, we'd be ready to go. <laughs> It really is good to be able to meditate on the Word of God, and that's really what we would like to do tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them up back up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. There's several things that um, I often want to um, emphasize, and tonight is one of those nights. As we look at the Great Commission, we started, remember the first day that we made several comments, remember, as, as we go through that. Um, first of all, we stated on the first day that the Great Commission is to be considered a what? A privilege. As the saints in Corinth were to look at giving as a privilege. Then we learned from, just quoting from Tim Keller, that um, we make about 12 good friends. So again, I'm not trying to have you think of hundreds, but the few that are around you. And then the other comment we made is truth is transmitted through a life, not in a vacuum, and that's important as well. Last night we looked at what the Great Commission is, and we looked at four verbs, and the main verb was what? Make disciples. So we don't fulfill the Great Commission just by seeing people come to know Christ. That's not it. I mean, I, I've been in movements where you get a lot of people make decisions and you go on merrily and they never enter a church. And uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about. The Great Commission is much deeper than that. And uh, I hope you got a sense of that last night as we went through that passage. If you're in your booklets tonight, what we're going to talk about is the personnel to carry out the Great Commission and this really is important as we go through this passage tonight. I know so many people, what really is defeating to me, talking about slaying your giants, many people will come, well, Chuck, you, you can just talk to people. You have the gift of gab. You should be out there evangelizing. That's what God gave you to do. I'm not talented like that, so that's not really my cup of tea. That oftentimes, if people don't say that, that's what they feel on the inside. That is very defeating to me. And, and I hope as we look at this passage, you might come away with a very different idea from Jesus' perspective. I mean, many times people, Chuck, you have the gift of evangelism. And I say, I don't know if I have the gift of evangelism or not. I just know when I got saved, I had a great burden to talk to people. And I saw that God wanted me to do that. And I wanted to obey that. Is that the gift? I don't know. 
because the Lord does want us to talk to people. And uh, we'll see that as we go through this text tonight in Matthew chapter 28. And I pray that you'd see it in a fresh way. So in Matthew chapter 28, here's the passage sometimes we don't give enough attention to to understand. And I'm going to drop down and um, just look at verse 16, just prior to 18. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Some people read that and now they picture in their mind the mountain in Galilee with these eleven disciples. And if you just read that statement, that might be true. But you're not looking at the context. The context is not teaching that. And I'd like to sort of show that to you as we go through this context here before us. Now, as we look at this, the question was, was it just the 11 who received the Great Commission? Because some would say that as you look at this. And here's my question, if that's a person's interpretation of it. If it was only the 11 why didn't they stay in Jerusalem? Where did Jesus die? Where did he raise from the dead? Where were the first appearance to the eleven? Jerusalem. It was all there, right there in Jerusalem. In fact, we know from the story, as you go through the Gospel of John, one disciple was missing when Jesus first appeared to the eleven. Who, what person was that? Thomas. So how long did, it, did they wait before Jesus appeared again? Yeah, another week. So we know for certain that they stayed in Jerusalem for at least eight, nine days. That's clear. So if it was just to the 11, why didn't Jesus just do everything in Jerusalem? But here, here's another question as, as you think of it and as you look at the text. Now look at the text again. It says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped. But then what does it say? Some doubted. Which, as you think about it, could that be talking about the eleven? Because we know that ten were there and they saw Jesus physically and they worshipped him then. When Thomas finally came a week later, he said, my Lord and my God, for the second time, those eleven were convinced and they saw the resurrected Christ. They were not the doubters. There were other people that were here in Galilee. And that's what I want you to think about because this becomes very important if you want to really understand the Great Commission. Now let me just point out several things and let's think through the whole passage. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. In verses 1 and 2. And it sort of gives you the setting of what was taking place in Jesus' last week of his life. 
Jesus is in Galilee at this time, Matthew 19, 1. And when Jesus had finished the, the saying these things, he departed from Galilee, which is way to the north, and he went to the region of Judea across the Jordan. And now notice, large crowds followed him and he healed them there. There were many people that accompanied Jesus all the way down to Jerusalem from Galilee in those last days. And that only makes sense because many Jews came to Jerusalem during the Passover. In fact, the city just blew up with population during the Passover. It was natural. Even Jesus in his younger years when he lived up in Nazareth, their custom was what? To come down to Jerusalem during the Passover. So I want you to picture that as you think of this whole setting here. Many people from Galilee came down. And it even says that there. But there are other verses. Go back to Matthew chapter 28 and we'll take a look at a few other verses as you look at it. But as far as that is concerned, notice why Galilee much... Well, let me go back. I think I went too far. No. Okay. Here's other thoughts as we talk about this. First of all, much of Jesus' public ministry took place in Galilee. That's where most of his disciples were from. Only Judas was from Judea, and he had some disciples. I mean, Lazarus, his sisters, they were disciples. They lived down in Jerusalem, but the majority of Jesus' ministry and time was spent in Galilee. And as as we go through, large crowds from Galilee went to Jerusalem on the final trip. We just mentioned that. In fact, many women were in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 55. It says this, Many women who had followed Jesus from Galilee and looked after him were there in Jerusalem watching from a distance. A lot of people from Galilee and Jerusalem during that time. Now look at Matthew chapter 28 with me as well. This is interesting as you look at the text. Matthew chapter 28, look at verse, after the women saw Jesus appear in, in verse 7, it says, Jesus says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to where? Galilee. You will see him there. Now, now just think about this. He told the disciples. That, that's even going to be a larger than just the eleven, isn't it? Because the eleven were going to see Jesus where? Jerusalem that very day. But Jesus' message through the angel to the majority of the disciples was not to stay there in Judea. He, through the angel, was saying, I want you to go back to Galilee. That's where you're going to see 
Jesus. That's what he's saying. And then look at verse 10 as you, as you look at the whole context again. It says, they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for where? Galilee. They will see me there. And what I would propose to you is a very small number of people saw the resurrected Christ in Jerusalem. The majority of the followers of Christ were actually going to see him in Galilee. So when we come to the text, when it says that the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, the idea of the text, if you would be honest with the text, is these were the latecomers coming to Galilee. The rest of them were already gathering there. The 11 were now coming to join that group. That's the idea. And, and that would help answer the question that as they came together, many of them had not seen the resurrected Christ yet, and therefore numbers worshipped, clearly the 11, but some of them struggled. Would that make sense? Thomas struggled when he didn't see it. Finally he's there. Now there's a larger group there as you go through. So as we think through and as you look at your book, Conclusion, it says, most of Jesus' public ministry took place in Galilee. Most of Jesus' disciples were from Galilee. So a large group of disciples returned to Galilee, not just the 11. In fact, I'm going to bring up a verse later, but I'd like you to go to it now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is where many authors go, and I agree with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Now look at the order of, of the resurrection. It says this. And then he appeared to Cephas or to Peter. We know that even from the two that returned from the, from the way to Emmaus because they talked about Jesus being appearing to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. That makes sense. He appeared to the twelve on two different occasions, both of them being in Jerusalem. Then where did he appear to? Then he appeared to 500 brethren at one time. So most scholars, when you study the text, would suggest that when Jesus went to Galilee, to that mountain, there was a large gathering. I can't prove that it was the 500, but I'm just saying, from the text, I think it's important for us to understand there were a large group of people that were gathered here. And you might say, well, really, why is that so important? Go back to Matthew chapter 28, and I'll try to help form why I think that becomes so important as you look at the text. Now, notice what Jesus is saying. As they travel there, end of verse 17, some doubted, Jesus came near and said to them, this larger group, all authority 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all ethnic groups. I want you to pause here just for a bit, and I want you to think through what Jesus is saying here. This is actually very radical, what he's suggesting here. When you think through the New Testament, what people do we know for sure had disciples? One, Jesus had disciples, did he not? He had the group of 12, then 70. He had those that followed him. Who else had disciples? John the Baptist, because remember, they said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. Who else had disciples? The Pharisees had disciples. They would question. They would learn all the nth degree, and then they would question Jesus. They had disciples. Think about what Jesus is doing here. Because when, when Jesus made disciples, as we mentioned yesterday, most of the time the disciples came to the one they wanted to learn from and said, I'd like to be your disciple. Jesus reversed it. He said, I'll choose. So he went out and he selected Peter. Then he selected, you know, Andrew and James and John. He selected all of them. And it was one of the biggest reasons why the Pharisees struggled. What are you doing, Jesus? These followers, they haven't gone to any of our schools. What are you doing selecting fishermen to be disciples? Come on, if you want to push a movement, let's start getting the people that went to school in Jerusalem, the people that know their doctrine, the ones that know the scripture better. Jesus, it's just a proof that your ministry is false and shallow. It doesn't have value. But now watch what he's doing. I want you to place yourself in Peter's shoes, in Andrew's shoes, James and John. As he says, now here's something else I need to just emphasize. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Jesus didn't say to this group, hey, hey, hey listen, let's, let's divide up a little bit here. Apostles, you, yeah, you stand right there, good, good. Um, a businessman, I, I'd like you to stand right there. And maybe that don't have the major businesses. Um, you guys stand over here. Um, yeah, there's a tax. You guys stand over here. And, and slaves, there's probably... You stand over there. And then women, can you get to the back just for a little bit here? You may laugh. But in that day, women didn't have a part in any of this. Now, I just want you to understand how radical... And this comes back to the whole idea of being a privilege. As Peter and Andrew thought of this, I know they were called to be apostles, that was a privilege, but now he is commissioning these fishermen to make disciples of all nations. Fishermen. Radical. So as, as you look at the at the whole text conclusion, Jesus' public ministry took place in Galilee. And so as you go through that, fishermen? Yes, they're there. And you know what? Jesus didn't separate anybody out of the group. Do you understand that? He was talking to the group. 
Now think about this. Do you think before Matthew there was ever in all of Judea, including Galilee, a tax collector that made disciples? Can you imagine what went through the mind of Matthew when he turned away from the riches and God called him and now, now, he wants Matthew, a tax collector, to be a disciple maker? Unheard of. Unheard of. Slaves? Yes. Slaves never had disciples. Never. Women, are you kidding me? Women don't make disciples. That was all changing. He was taking this entire crowd and he was saying, all authority is given to me in heaven. All the authority of heaven is behind me. I am commissioning you to make disciples. Shouldn't we count that as a privilege? This is radical what Jesus was doing. And there's other verses in, in, in the New Testament that really firm this up. <clears throat> and um, I'll be honest, when I sensed Jesus was calling me to make the disciples, I felt so privileged. I always wanted my life to count for something. This was my opportunity because I wasn't good at anything else. <laughs> but this was the highest the highest of privileges. So what I'd like to do right now is I would like to invite two guests to come up here, Dave and Lori Tashner. I have the privilege of working with them some as we worked at Sailorville. And uh, I'd like Dave and Lori to just share a few things. Oops, I'll stand off to the side a little bit. Now you tell me when you want the photograph to go up. Do you want it to go up? No, no uh, we'll hold off on the photograph. Yep, go ahead, Dave. And uh, my name's David, Pastor just said, and this is my wife, Lori. And first, I want to thank Pastor Chuck for inviting us up here. Um, I do apologize for the wardrobe malfunction. I have been approved. <laughs> um, That's okay. If you can escape, Stephen, just go home tonight. Just go home tonight. I do have closed-soled shoes, um, <laughs> closed-toed shoes. Um, anyway, it's a privilege to do to, to share with you what the Lord is doing in the area of discipleship. Uh, let me begin with just a little bit about us. Uh, we've been married 18 years. We've been members at Sailorville Church for 14 years. I'm a long-haul truck driver, and Lori is a retired marketing director. We've been leading small groups at Sailorville for 10 years, and we're both passionate about discipling others. With that said, I'm going to let Lori begin our talk. Hi, everyone. Um, I'll share just a brief testimony with you um, so you know what God had to work with. I grew up in San Diego with an alcoholic mother, um, never met my father. My mother was married 12 times, so I had plenty of stepfathers. My sisters helped raise me, and I'll be forever grateful for them. Early on, I just began looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places, doing all the wrong things. Um, 
and I began using drugs at the age of nine. And all of my destructive behavior then led to addiction, arrest, abusive relationships. I had a son out of wedlock, which eventually ended up with him in an abusive shelter. So, thankfully, the Lord led me to begin attending church in 1995, but I wasn't saved until March 2002 when I finally heard and understood the gospel. As I began attending a Bible teaching church, I immediately realized I knew very little about the Bible. It was then that I asked an older lady in the church if she would disciple me, and we would meet every week, and she would help me to understand and apply the scriptures. I was so grateful for her to accept the challenge. And then David and I also met with a dear couple, Bob and Mar Maud Burkhart, which um, who some of you may know. And over the years, I've continued to be discipled. I've also been blessed with faithful women in my life who pray daily for me. God has given me a tremendous burden for the lost and a great love for discipleship. And thankfully, he's also placed incredible examples in my life, like Bob and <coughs> Pastor Chuck. And he taught me so much about loving the Lord and his people. Today, I'm retired, and I have the great privilege of meeting with ladies every day of the week. And once a month, we gather together as a group to encourage one another and pray for one another. What a gift it is to hear how the Lord is working in their lives and in the lives of the other ladies they're discipling. And so this is our first photo. This, I want to introduce you to Adam and Summer Miller. They are our dear, dear, dear friends. I met Summer while I was leading Bible studies at the Polk County Jail. And Summer was incarcerated. I went through Pastor Chuck's Bible study with the ladies, and Summer made a profession of faith. In 2012, and after going through the salvation study, naturally, she continued to struggle. Um, but I continued meeting with her as she would allow because Pastor Chuck taught me early on about prayer and that you never, ever allow anyone, you just never give up on anyone. Um, then finally, um, Pastor Chuck um, led Adam to the Lord just a year ago. So since that time, we've wa we watched the Lord do amazing things in both of their lives. They began attending church regularly. They're both in the Word daily and memorizing scripture. David and I have been meeting with them individually and together doing Bible studies. And now they're faithfully serving in our church. And um, Summer is working with ladies that struggle with addiction. They're teaching their kids through the Word and by their example. They have a little four-year-old daughter, Ella, and you should hear her pray. <laughs> She's so precious. Summer and I also go out door-to-door -door every Tuesday night with the evangelism team, and Adam's mother and Summer's mother have both made professions of faith. And most recently, they invited a friend, Tony, to move into their home, provided a job for him, they helped him get an apartment, and they continue picking him up for church and doing Bible studies with him. What a privilege 
it is to watch God work in their lives. These two are amazing and so encouraging. And I, um, Did I want me back at Summer and Adam? That's okay. That's okay. You can leave it there. Okay. Um, I've attended, I've att just a little bit about me. I've attended church all my life, uh, but on October 9th of 2004, during our second separation, both because of my temper, uh, in the driveway of a man named Bob Burkhart, I repented of my sins and I put my faith and trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and nothing else. Bob and I spent the next few years together studying the Bible together, and has he taught me how to apply? He taught me how to apply God's word to my life. He was an incredible example of Jesus' call to go make disciples, and I want to be just like him. I've also learned um, from, through as many Bible studies as I can get into, and many pastors. Eventually, I followed Pastor Chuck on door knocking and learned from him in a weekly discipleship Bible study. I read the books he assigned, and I listened very closely when he gave real-life examples from his real, his very, very real relationship with God. Now I want to introduce to you Shannon and Sheila. Since Shannon is a truck driver just like me, and I don't know if I said that about myself. Yeah, we did earlier. I'm a truck driver. Well, Shannon is a, is a truck driver just like me. And uh, Shannon and Sheila were both divorced, just like us. Pastor Chuck thought, we, thought that we would be a good fit to work with them. It was truly a great fit. It's hard to describe how much we love these two. We first began by sitting quietly and enjoying their coffee and cookies, <laughs> while Pastor Chuck led them through the beginning phases of their new life in Christ. Eventually, once they were baptized and married, Pastor Chuck slowly backed away and allowed Lori and I to take the reins in leading them. We have now studied the Bible with them, worked through two marriage training books, and they have become a part of a core of our new small group. I should say that I fully believe Shannon is going to be a cell group, a small group leader before too long. They are both reading their Bible and memorizing scripture daily. Recently, they have shown great evidence that they are giving thanks in every, everything, according to uh, Philippians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. And this is our new small group. We are so excited. We'll be kicking off this fall. You'll see Adam and Summer on the top left. Shannon and Sheila on the top right. And on the middle right, the couple there, that is Stacy and Gary. David is doing a Bible study with Gary. And Stacy is being discipled by Lisa, who is a young lady that I've been discipling for nine years. And now Stacy is discipling Sheila. And while Sheila serves during the second service, Stacy, Lisa, and I are meeting with two new believers, Nicole and Linda, who Pastor Chuck just recently <laughs> led to Christ. What a joy it is to watch disciples making disciples. I want to, 
I don't want to comment, but I have to. Stacy, right in the middle, has Sh Shannon and Sheila's little dog, Harley, behind her, so she looks like she has puppy ears. It, it looks really cute, like princess ears. <laughs> the last couple I want to introduce is Dan and Crystal. Dan is on the far left, and Crystal, his wife, is right next to him in the green. Pastor Chuck led Dan to the Lord this year and then invited us in to begin doing a study with them. They've been married 26 years, and they've gone through a lot. At about the same time, Pastor Chuck asked us to join him. Some friends of ours, Eugene and Sandy, who are on the far right, you'll notice Gene in the IRBC shirt, he's been up here for quite a few years too, asked if we could show them how to disciple people. As of two days ago, Sunday afternoon, we believe Crystal is getting close to salvation. She told us that things in the Bible are starting to make sense to her. So will you please pray for Crystal's salvation? Dan is growing in his faith. He is memorizing scripture, which God is using to bring his temper under control, and Crystal has seen a big change in him. He faithfully works through our Bible study questions with Crystal every week before we meet. And since we have started meeting with them, Eugene and Sandy have been called to lead our former small group. So in closing, through this wonderful process of building on the foundation that God has laid with all of these people through Pastor Chuck, we are trying very hard to build carefully according to 1 Corinthians 3.10. There are two great lessons we've learned in the process of discipling. One, we have to fervently pray for God to work as only he can. We have to pray. Two, we must be ready to go when he calls. I'd like to leave you with just a couple of quotes from the book Gaining by Losing by Pat, uh, Pastor J.D. Greer. The first, discipleship happens in relationships. The second, where trust exists, God moves. Thank you. Thank you. My main thought as you look at Dave and Lori, as you look at Dick, um, if you would have looked at Dave and Lori, Ten years ago, you would have asked the question, they're going to make disciples? And yet they are. And um, it just shows you that God wanted to include everybody in discipleship making. And I pray that as you listen to those testimonies, that you would ask yourself, are you building relationships? You know, the, the last verse in the, that I want to leave you with, and I think we bypassed it. Can I, if I can't go back, just go to, real quick to close. Otherwise, I won't be able to speak tomorrow. Real quick to close, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you know these verses, but it supports what we're saying. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now notice what it says in verse 18. Everything is from God 
who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Who's the us? Has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Would that include just part of the believers at Corinth or would that include all the believers in Corinth and in relation actually to us? Would it not include all of those that are saved? So keeping that in mind, as you drop down to verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. Who's the we? Believers. Again, ambassadors, a position of privilege for Christ since we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So who are, how many ambassadors do we have in this room? Everybody that names the name of Jesus Christ is made an ambassador, not just a few. It's a privilege, folks. Too long the church has run away from a privilege that Jesus was longing to give all the way back on that mount in Galilee when he radically called all those people women, slaves, tax collectors, fishermen to be disciple makers. That's what God is giving to us as well. 750, Stephen. You're on. <laughs>